Makers of Sport Podcast, Episode 71, with Brian Gundell. Welcome to episode 71 of the Makers of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. Real quick, just some uh, to-do items. If you're curious about the skip and sequence numbers from the last episode, that's because the halftime episodes are actually now for community members only. The particular episode that was out last week is actually a talk that I gave to AIGA students at my alma mater about sort of not putting yourself into a box. Uh, it's a pretty decent talk. Uh, if, you're, if you're interested in, in uh, getting that, you can join the community. Uh, you can get there by going to makersofsport.com slash community and you'll get uh, Q&As with future former and special guests, monthly Google Hangouts, an invite to the Slack channel where there are quite a few of us in there having a lot of engaging conversation uh, as, as this is going on right now. Again, that's at makersofsport.com slash community. Today on the podcast, I'm very happy to welcome Brian Gundell to the show. Brian is a freelance graphic designer based out of Portland, Oregon that specializes in sports branding and sports design. Prior to going full-time freelance, Brian has had a career that has touched many limbs of the sports industry from agency side to apparel brand to working in pro sports and later in Pac-12 college football. Brian has done a little bit of it all. Currently, Brian works independently under his company, Brian Gundell Graphic Design Company, LLC. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thanks for jumping aboard. Hey, thanks for having me, Adam. So I gave a little bit of a brief intro into the podcast uh, at the beginning of the podcast, and I know that you've heard a couple of these. So I want to give you just a bit of an opportunity to tell listeners a little bit more about your story for those that maybe don't know you. How about you just kind of give us uh, a bird's eye view of, of where you got to today, where you got your start, and then leading up to where you are today? Yeah, sure. Um, so for me, my, my start on this path down to the road to graphic design really started uh, – when I was a little kid and I, I didn't start out with an interest in art. Uh, I kind of consider myself to be a big fake uh, because I really uh, was just a big sports fanatic. Um, so I would always look at uniforms and, and logos of teams and I, I just loved them. So when I was a little kid, I had sketchbooks upon sketchbooks of, of team logos that I would just redraw. And so it was just something that I did for fun. And then, I started making up my own teams and doing logos for the teams I'd make up. And then um, I ended up going to college at the University of Oregon, um, where I graduated from in 2007. And it was in my dorm room at U of O that the light bulb moment kind of happened for me. I was doing a one of my first ever sports logos in Adobe Illustrator. And as I was sitting there working on it, it, it just clicked in my head that, oh yeah, people get paid to do this. I could get paid to do this. Right. So um, I ended up applying to the School of, of uh, Architecture and Allied Arts for their digital art program, which at the time was called Multimedia Design, and uh, got managed to get in without ever having taken an art class prior to that point on sheer 
dumb luck, I guess. And um, so when the, when I entered the program, it was multimedia design, so it had more of a, a traditional graphic design focus. Uh, and they ended up switching it uh, to, uh, they call it now digital art. So they really wanted to focus the program in fine art using digital media. So they wanted you know gallery art created on the computer, basically, which is not really what I wanted. So my options at that point were to either transfer to Oregon State, uh, where they do have a really, really, really good graphic design program, or try and get out early and learn on the job. And I talked to a bunch of people I knew from the Chris Creamer Sports Logo Forums, um, who were professional designers, and they all told me the same thing, and that's that they learned more in the first year of the job than they ever did in school. So right. I, I chose to uh, actually get out as early as I possibly could. So I ended up graduating in three years from U of O. And oh, wow. in doing that, um, I really tried to soak up as much as I could about graphic design. You know, I bought countless books from Rockport Publishing and how issues of how and print and... Right. Um, you know, did a lot of tutorials on Smashing Magazine and and all those great web resources that were just in their infancy back in the time. I mean, we're talking 2005 at this point. So um, I ended up graduating in 07, like I mentioned, and um, it took me a little while to get going in the industry. I ended up working for uh, Kinko's for a while. Um, And then uh, my then wife at the time wanted to go to school in Montana. Uh, so we, we ended up moving out there and I got a job working for a teeny, teeny, tiny advertising agency up there, uh, called Synergy Advertising. And they've, they've since, uh, moved on and, and purchased another company called the Maverick Group. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was, I was one of five people in the entire agency, uh, and the only graphic designer. So, Wow. That was it was actually really cool because I had a really really great relationship with the owner who was also the creative director and he had let me have a ton of freedom on the projects that I I did um got me really involved with the clients so I, I mean it really gave me a lot of hands-on look at at the client interaction side of of the business, which was really, yeah, really and cool. That's, I mean, that's usually pretty rare too, because usually gra- usually junior graphic designers are sort of just like behind the scenes, and there's like a you're there to just kind of make, and then there's like an account rep that's doing that. Yeah, yeah. So I got to be in on on all those high level meetings, talking strategy and uh, marketing campaigns and advertising, and and so I got to do a lot of that, um, and I got to do some really cool branding design stuff. Which I, you know, I, I'm still pretty proud of some of that work that's in my portfolio. But uh, so that was that, and I was there for a year, and the company was kind of shifting around uh, a little bit. So I ended up starting to look around a little bit, and and des- graphic design is not exactly a booming industry in Montana. <laughs> yeah, I'd imagine. <laughs> so at, out of the the five advertising agencies in Missoula, I had applied at all five and gotten rejected by four of them. So I figured it was time to maybe move on. So that's when I saw there was a, a job posting at Old Hat Creative in Norman, Oklahoma, and uh, I applied for that job and, and got hired by Zach Logsdon, uh, who's the, the owner and creative director down there. Um, so that's really where I got my start in sports. Uh, they're a sports design agency. They work with a, a ton of NCAA um, programs across the country, uh, from Division One schools to you know 
little NAIA uh, programs as well. Um, but the, and they also work with some pro organizations. They work with the Oklahoma City Thunder and USA Softball and some other organizations. So that's really got. Were my- you there? Were did you cross paths with Chris Bazin while you were there? Actually, a, a funny thing is that uh, Chris Bazin was my replacement. Oh, really? Uh, at Old Head, yeah. He huh. he directly replaced me because when I was when I was there, I was kind of the logo guy. Oh, okay. Uh, and I really wanted to get the branding. Uh, platform started at Old Hat and it, it didn't happen at the time. So when I left uh, in 2011, uh, that's when they brought in Chris. Okay. Yeah, because initially they were, uh, it was mainly like they were kind of doing the print stuff, right? Like schedule poster or yeah, schedule posters and schedule cards. Yeah. And a lot of collateral for schools. Yeah. And that's mostly what I did. I was, I was one of the print designers there. Um, mm-hmm. One of, Four at the time, four or five uh, print designers at the time. So, um, you know, I got to work well on some really, really, really neat projects while I was there uh, with some big time programs, which was really, really cool uh, and definitely helped me get going in this crazy world of sports design. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but in 2011, so I was there in 2009 and then um, I was there until March of 2011 and I, I just got really, really homesick. Because uh, I was in Oklahoma by myself, uh, didn't know anybody outside of work. Right. Um, so you know, and I, I, I flew. It's, like a, it's a college town, so it's you know probably yeah. a lot of alumni there that are all connected or whatever. Yeah. So I mean, it was it was really interesting being an Oregon guy in in the heart of you know in the town where the University of Oklahoma is. Right. So <laughs> that was definitely anytime I'd wear my Oregon gear I'd catch a ton of flack just because oh, of the, the whole game that <laughs> yeah. happened at Austin. They they're still holding on to that grudge. Yeah. So. <laughs> and that's a football that's a football crazy place oh, too yeah. so. <laughs> oh yeah. So I that was definitely uh, an eye-opening experience for me in terms of just seeing a different part of the country and and living and experiencing that which was was really cool. But like I said, I mean I come home I think to Oregon three times in the span of two months. And I just, I just really wanted to be back in Oregon. Portland is home for me and it's where my heart is and it's where it will be pretty much always, I think. Right. So I ended up making the move back home uh, that March. I freelanced for a little while. Uh, and then that August I got um, hired to do some freelance work for a company here in town called Here Now Creative. Um, and they do a lot of retail production work for Nike. So, you know, if you go into a Models or a Sports Authority or a Dick's Sporting Goods and you see their, their retail merchandise displays for Nike, uh, a lot of that work is handled by, by here now. So I did that for a little while and then they hired me full time in October of that same year um, and then subsequently let me go in January. <laughs> um, but that's when I, I got in touch with a company, a creative staffing agency here in Portland called 52 Limited. And they put me up for a role as a, an external temporary worker with Nike. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started there in March of 2012. So that was really, really cool for me to, to actually get on board, even as a, a contractor with those folks. Um, right. So I was there. Uh, I worked in the football category first from March until November of that year. Uh, and then I moved over to the basketball category until the following February when my contract ended. And then, um, so I did a lot of stuff there. I, I don't want to get into too much detail about that just because I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, 
but I, I did some really, 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 really neat projects while I was I was there. Stuff that I'm I'm very, very proud of that I'll I'll just keep on the QT. Um close to my heart. Uh, but I, at, at are, the, are you allowed to tell me, are there any brands that you can say like, Oh, these are brands that I worked with or whatever or anything like that? Or is it um, all kind of, I, I'm not sure. Uh, so I'd rather not just to be on the yeah. safe side. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, uh, that right after I, uh, well, right before I left, they started their keep it tight campaign. So they're, mm-hmm. they started really clamping down on security and, and who says what about what. So right. um, I'll just say that there was some cool stuff I did. <laughs> Yeah, there were there were it's it's interesting. Like, there's they're very secretive, man. Nowadays, like I, I know, like I've talked to, um, well, uh, did you work with Todd Van Horn there at all? I did, yes. So yeah, I, I, Todd, I talked to Todd, and Todd was had essentially agreed to come on the episode on ep, or on the uh, the podcast on episode fifty, and he was like, basically like, we got to run it through PR and basically PR <laughs> shut it down. <laughs> so it's kind of a bummer, man, because, uh, you know, like I, I think about like Under Armour and they let Adam Clement come on and, yeah. and it's like, it's sort of like, it's kind of an interesting thing because I, I grew up a Nike guy, but it's almost like when you start to develop these relationships out in the real world and your friends go work at places and, and then like you sort of meet people and those types of things, you're, your brand loyalty kind of sw- almost seems to switch a little bit in a in a funny way because I never thought I'd be like an Under Armour guy, but I'm really starting to swing that way a little bit <laughs> just because of my interactions with with the PR department solely <laughs> at Nike, yeah. which is funny. Uh, I mean, it's interesting. I, I've gotten to know uh, just through social channels uh, a bunch of folks who actually work at Adidas um, in their sports license division and, yep. and mm-hmm. some other places, and um, some really awesome people that are there and you know, the stuff that they get to do and the fact that they can actually show their work. Uh, oh, totally that, man. Yeah. I'm blown away by that. You'll see it pop up on dribble, you know? Yeah, exactly. And um, so I, I just think that, you know, from an external viewpoint, uh, which is obviously very, very different from when you're on the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it seems like a, it's a much more relaxed culture there. So that's definitely something that right. is uh, swaying my opinion. About well, you know what's cool? Like the thing about Adidas too is they have some really talented people working there, man. Like especially in that sports licensing division. Yeah, and uh, and then like and, and it's so weird. Like sometimes you see these things come out, and you're kind of like, "What happened here?" Like, and then I get that there's like bureaucracies involved, and it's yeah. like big company and whatever, yep. which is typically yep. it. But it's just kind of unfortunate sometimes when you see one of these big brands put out something and you kind of question it. But then sure. you, you know for a fact, man, there are people there that can really do some really great stuff. And I'm sure they're frustrated too because oh yeah, maybe their hands are tied. You know, well there's there's some amazingly talented people at Nike too, and I have nothing but the utmost respect oh, right, for yeah. for the designers, uh, especially the ones that I worked with. Um, so I mean they they're phenomenally talented people, uh, and I, I consider myself extremely lucky that I got to have that experience. Um, yeah, it's a cool gig, man. Especially being from uh, being an or- a Portland guy, you know, it's kind of the place everybody wants to go. I would imagine. Yeah, that well, and being an Oregon guy too. So right. you know, oh, yeah, totally, yeah. Uncle Phil has been good to us. I, I actually, <laughs> I actually got to meet Phil Knight by sheer dumb luck. Uh, yeah. Sheer happenstance. I was walking into the campus one morning, and I opened the door for him, and didn't realize that it was him right away. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so I, I I walked back and I opened a second door for him, and I looked back and I couldn't help myself. I totally fangirled on him. I, I was like, <laughs> "You're Phil Knight," and he looks at me and he goes, 
yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, was ah. he wearing black? Because he seems to always be wearing black. <sighs> I don't know. I maybe, probably. It's like him and Steve Jobs, man, always rocking black. Uh, he was wearing jeans that day, so yeah. uh, t-shirt under his blazer. That's kind of his signature look. Now, how far is how far is Eugene from Portland and Beaverton areas? Well, it depends on how fast you drive. Yeah, um, I've. Uh, please don't tell Oregon State Police, but I've made that drive in 90 minutes. <laughs> um, <laughs> What's the normal, like two hours? It's two, two and a half hours, depending on traffic. Yeah. Like on, gotcha. on duck game days, it's closer to three because it all crushes right. uh, along there. But yeah, it's it's roughly about two hours. Mm-hmm. Did you work with Darren Crescenzi at all? Uh, he no. was episode eight. Okay. Yeah, because he was in Nike Gig. Um, he might have been in there after you left, now that I think about it. But yeah, he was there for I think three years. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think he did some of the Oregon State stuff. But oh, cool. Um, yeah. So I-, I was going. I was digging through sportslogos.net forums. I've always been kind of a lurker there. Oh yeah. I've never really said much, but I always read a lot, and you know, it's kind of a, it's a great way. I mean, I love Chris. He's a great guy, and yeah. I think just his site is was really is just pivotal for really all of us, especially just from a historical archive. I mean, it's almost like when you're doing research on projects, you can go there and just find anything that you need. Oh, you know? it's, it's my first go-to, you know, for inspiration, for reference, for research. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing what Chris has done. Yeah, totally. But uh, you, you've been pretty engaged on there, right? I mean, I think your, 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 your handle, uh, are you, are you trying to keep that secret, or is that like, is it okay to say like your handle on them? No, like, you can go ahead. I'm, I'm Gordy uh, yeah. underscore Delini on there. Yeah, yeah, and that's your that's your uh, that's your Skype handle that is, too. But that is my you've Skype. Got thousands of posts because it's it's when I do uh, um, obviously when I do these podcasts, I try to do some research ahead of time and just kind of check some things out. And it was like you've got like I want to say like five thousand posts or something. So I'm just curious, like you you mentioned a little bit earlier about how you you interact on there. How did you find SportsLogos.net? I mean, was oh, it just man. something that randomly popped up? Because it seems like you were doing that before you even got in, interested in design itself well you know it's interesting that you mentioned that because uh sports logo the the forums there um was really what led me to actually doing my first ever paid work as a graphic designer that's awesome Um, it was where i really kind of cut my teeth and got i mean it's what encouraged me to actually start designing logos in a serious fashion um and it was it was you know that logo i mentioned in my dorm room at u of o it was it was for a you know, a fantasy team on the, the Chris Creamer boards there. Um, so it was, uh, I've gotten to, to meet some really amazing people who I, I still talk to uh, from there that we've all kind of, there was this core little group of graphic designers who were pros on there that we, we used to have a, a group chat that we talked in every day and we've all kind of since mm-hmm. dispersed as our lives have, you know, gone in different directions, but right. um, mm-hmm. we still touch base every now and then. Um, so yeah, that was absolutely crucial in my development as a designer and, and, and kind of fostering my interest in design as a profession and, and really helping me develop my skill set because there, I mean, some of those early, early posts, like the, the critique and comments that I got on my projects were just like instrumental in right. helping me learn and, and get better. So it would be interesting to see like some type of, uh, 
I don't know if like an infographic or just maybe even just a post of people that got their start there that are now doing things. Cause I know, I mean, there's so many, Oh yeah. the torch guys obviously credit sports logos.net to being huge to their careers. Mm-hmm. I know Fraser used to be in there a lot in his yep. early days. Yep. Yeah, man, it's and and Eric Bottomer. I mean, we're talking about a guy who designs for uh, the the NHL right now uh, yep. for the Adidas division. He's he's still in there, you know. He's been there since day one. Yep. that's awesome. Yeah, no, and it's really cool. And um, uh, Eric and I have talked a little bit uh, periodically here and there. So um, there's another person that I know in, in Adidas, thanks to the, the Chris Creamer forums. Um, Pat Cummings is another guy in the sports license division that I yep. I know. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And I actually he he's gotten in touch with me to actually do some some paid work with with him. So that's cool. Um, yeah, he's, he he does good work. Yeah, he does, and and he's a fantastic guy. So I mean, and and I never would have met Pat had it not been for the CCSLC. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Actually, that just brings up, it brings up like something totally on a side here. But I'm I'm literally like three hours from from all those guys in that group. I need to just roll up there and just get lunch with them or something sometime. <laughs> I can't believe oh, I haven't yeah. done that yet. It makes no sense. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> I keep forgetting in- that they're in Indianapolis, which is literally like three hours from Lexington yeah. where I live. Oh, a- Andrew Harrington is another guy up there at SLD mm-hmm. who's who's a Chris Cream Reform guy. Um, and he works with Pat up there. Um, let's see. I think Andy Starlacchini, he's... I haven't seen too much of his stuff on the forums, but I know he's another SLD guy in Boston with, with Eric Bottomer. So, oh, is he in Boston? I didn't know he was up there. I think he's in Boston. Uh-huh. So I'm pretty sure he's up there. I know they worked on the, uh, he, they did the, um, the world cup, yeah. uh, graphics recently for the, the NA or the hockey, hockey. World yeah. Cup. Um, Pat did, Pat did some of that too. He, he did mm-hmm. some of the stuff for Sweden, team Sweden. And That's I cool. think, I think, some of the, I was really excited to see that stuff when it came out because I I've seen those guys work previously so that mm-hmm. was it was definitely one of those like still almost like fan fangirling out on it because yeah. I was like hey <laughs> it's easy I, to do I know man. those guys I know those guys I'm talking it's so to them. funny when you see something and and it's like and you know the person that did it it's like always like a funny a funny feeling because yeah but I, I think that's what i love about this industry so much is everybody i mean for the most part everybody's really supportive of each other's work and yeah. there's almost like there's so much stuff to go around that it's for like sure. it's almost like not a zero-sum game i no. mean f- for one person to succeed doesn't mean another person has to fail in this right. industry in my opinion right. well and i mean the thing about the sports design industry too is it's all about who you know where and when and crossing paths. And the right. thing too is, you know, because we all know each other, like it feels like everybody knows everybody in the sports industry, mm-hmm. like sports design industry. And so it's like one of those things where it's like, well, I can't work on this, but you know, have you talked to, to, you know, the guys over at torch? Have you talked to, to, uh, you know, uh, Aaron Masick? Have you talked to, right. you know, the, I could go on and on and on with a list of people that, you know, have you talked to these guys here and there? Or, oh, oh, he's a, he's a basketball guy. So you should talk, Oh, he's, he's in yeah. football. You know, <laughs> yeah. you can, you can really get it, you know, really specified down. Um, and I think for me, the cool part, like you mentioned in the, in the intro is that I've been able to touch so many different facets of it. That it really gives me a, a lot of opportunities being on my yeah. own. 
Yeah, totally. And let's talk about that some. You after your contract gig at Nike was up, which was in February 2013. I was I didn't remember that. I'm actually looking at your LinkedIn profile. <laughs> um, you you moved to to Phoenix to work I for did. Diamondbacks. Why don't you yes. tell us a little bit about that that time? So so contracting for a year, um, like the pay was awesome, the work was awesome, but not having health insurance and some other stuff was really starting to weigh on me a little bit. And yeah. um, I was uh, with my 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 now wife, um, and she and I were talking a little bit about it. And the great thing about Portland is that um, it's an amazing city for design. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a an amazing place to be a freelancer. It is not a great place if you're looking for full-time gigs. It's really, really tough to find full-time gigs here oh, in Portland okay. as a mm-hmm. designer. Just because uh, there's so many creatives here. There's so many, like, one, two, three people shops all yeah. around town. And there's there's so much work that gets put out by Nike and Adidas. Um, you know, for their special projects. I mean, they, they, they go to these companies and then what they end up doing is they say, all right, well, we need somebody who can, who's really laser focused on this one particular thing. Like we want mm-hmm. somebody who can illustrate, you know, Maori tattoos. Like, right. and that's all they do all day long. And, and you can find that person in Portland, <laughs> um, which is, it's really, really cool. So yeah. somebody who, who all they do is illustrate Maori tattoos. Like they can just do that in Portland. They'll find gigs left and, and make right. a living. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, for me, that's, it's really cool. Cause it's like, I'm, I specialize in sports design. So when there's a, a gig that's not Nike or Adidas, that's sports related, you know, I, I get people can come to me and say, Hey, you're a sports guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I did some freelance work with a company called downstream, uh, which is an agency here in Portland. And, mm-hmm. uh, they did the branding for, uh, the Ottawa sports and entertainment group. um, uh, for the Ottawa Fury and the Ottawa Red Blacks in the CFL, mm-hmm. uh, so they they contracted me to come in and work on the the sports branding for that stuff. Um, so that was awesome. But you know, at the same time, they didn't have full time opening because once that project goes away, then then they have their full time staff to handle right. their their everyday projects. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the nature of the beast in Portland. So that's what I you know after my contract at Nike ended, I was like, gosh, I don't I don't want to freelance. I don't want to be a contractor permanently here. I wasn't ready to do that yet. Um, so I started looking around for full-time gigs and they just, they weren't happening and they weren't happening. So I started looking outside of Portland, which is when I saw the gig with the D-backs pop up. Um, there was a gig with the Diamondbacks and there was a gig with the Mets and I applied for both of those and I went pretty far down the interview process with the Mets, um, to the point where, um, Heather, my wife and I were looking at, um, places to rent in Brooklyn or mm-hmm. Queens and and that ended up not working out um but the gig in Phoenix did uh so we ended up in May of that year moving down to to Phoenix uh just and started working with the D-backs uh, and that's where I met John Willie um he was my boss there right um mm-hmm. And then I, I was working with uh, two other really talented designers. I'll give them a shout out right now. Uh, Zach Alvarez, who is still with the Diamondbacks mm-hmm. uh, and was one of the, the chief designers behind the Diamondbacks uniform redesign. So Yeah, I think I think I met Zach at MLC. Yeah. Pretty he, sure I did, actually. Yes, and he's been there uh, both years. Um, so uh-huh. he, he was there in, okay. in thir- yeah, uh, 14 and 15. So really awesome guy. Uh, definitely 
miss working with him. Uh, and the other designer I worked with was Boyd Erickson, uh, another really super talented designer. He's working with uh, Arizona State now. Yeah, I know Boyd too. I've interacted with him a couple times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so both like crazy talented guys. Um, so it was a really fun group to work for uh, there. Um, and we did some really awesome work that I'm, I'm super proud to have been a part of. Was John leading that group at the time? Yeah, yeah, he was. He was our our fearless leader. What um, was it? What was it like? I mean, because he's was he doing a lot of photography too? Because dude, he is such a good photographer, man. He is, um, and at the time he wasn't. So John's story. Interesting. You, you need to get John on the podcast because his story is really interesting. He actually started mm-hmm. out as a a sports a physical therapist. He was a sports really? trainer. Yeah, and so he worked in minor league hockey. Um, he worked uh, at Washington State for a while so he's up in Pullman he's been in Phoenix he's been all over the place um, and when he was he got on with the Diamondbacks he started as a trainer but he, he ended up um, as part of you know kind of on the side doing photo archiving and because he's always been interested in photography and then he went from photo archiving to well maybe I'll take some photos and then he ended up getting hired to be one of the team photographers and then he developed an interest in design uh, and he started designing, and he became one of the team's graphic designers. And then uh, they put him in charge of the entire multimedia design group. That's so. awesome. I love hearing those stories because, like, there are so many people that contact me and they say, "I want to go back to school for graphic design." I'm, uh, and I usually tell them, "I'm like, listen, if it involves getting student loans, I would recommend not." Like, a lot of them maybe already have a degree in something. Sure. And and it's like I'm usually like if it, if it involves getting student loans, I would not recommend it. There are so many people in this industry that are doing f- great work that like had a degree in something else. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're passionate about it and you kind of have that willingness to learn on your own, then you yeah. can make the transition successfully and then take some of the things that you learned in whatever your degree was and apply it to today. Yeah, absolutely. I I agree with that 100. percent so after uh, after the Diamondbacks, you know, actually, I got to laugh about this. Your your LinkedIn says graphic designer two, which those you have to laugh about those positions and titles sometimes in sports. Like it's it's almost like in universities too. It's like you'll yeah. see designer three or like just like random. Like where do they get these titles yeah. at? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I mean, that's. They, that was. I think they have to do that just for like HR purposes, where it comes to like salary negotiations. Yeah. For the most part, that's usually all those mean. Yeah, it's almost like <laughs> mid. Instead of saying mid level designer or something like that, it'll be like graphic designer two, and then yeah. graphic designer one's maybe a junior graphic designer or something like that. I mean, for for our purposes, I mean, really, the title should have Boyd should have been an art director. He was he was labeled senior designer. It should have been senior designer. Jack uh, Zach should have been like graphic like mid level graphic designer. Mm-hmm. Um, and Zach's been crushing it. Like now, he should, that guy should be in charge of that whole place. So, if anyone from the Diamondbacks is listening, promote Zach Alvarez. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So always um, got to always got to always got to shout out the old the old homies, man. Yeah, That's absolutely. So yeah, um, so the it's kind of similar thing happened uh, in Phoenix that it did in Oklahoma. Like my wife and I were both from the Northwest. Uh, two summers in Phoenix was two summers too many. Uh, it just wasn't the place for us. So we'd been, uh, we went on our, we got married in January of 2014. Um, mm-hmm. We went on our honeymoon to Ireland and um, we went for our birthdays. We went up to Vancouver, BC. So we're, we were just like, uh, you know, we got married here in Portland. So like those few months we had 
spent a bunch of time in basically, you know, the Northwest kind of atmosphere and just were pining to come home. Mm-hmm. So we just, uh, you missed the rain. Uh, actually, yes. <laughs> I, I love the rain. I'm one of those weird people that has reverse SAD. Like, I hate the sun. <laughs> the sun drives me nuts. So living in Phoenix was a really smart choice for me. <laughs> I'm a I'm a four seasons kind of guy. That's why I, I like living in Kentucky because we sort of get like the heat from the from like the summer, and then we we have a, a legitimate fall and an actual winter. I don't I couldn't do like a Florida or something like that and just be yeah or like even a Southern California like that would drive no. me nuts. Uh, if I could have rain every day, I'd be the happiest guy. <laughs> so um, so anyway. Um, we 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 had been in, back in the northwest a few times really missed it and then uh the place we were renting down there the landlord decided to sell the place so we basically got kicked out uh i mean we weren't evicted or anything it was just one of those like hey i'm selling it so you're going to have yeah. to move mm-hmm. so we were like do we find another place in phoenix or do we bail and go back to the northwest uh, we decided. Yeah, it's to, almost serendipitous. It was. So we we decided to go back to the Northwest, and we were like, "Well, do we want to go back to Portland, where you know our careers aren't really gonna go much further at the moment, or do we mm-hmm. want to try somewhere else? I and mean, what if we what if we go to Seattle? You know, it's still close to our families. We're three hours north of Portland. Uh, we're in the Northwest, and it's something a little different. So mm-hmm. that's what we ended up deciding to do. Um, and it was right around that time. Um, this was in, I want to say it was late May, early June. Um, my buddy Matt Lang at Alabama yeah. mm-hmm. um, told me about the gig at Washington. And there was a, another mutual friend of ours, Alex McClelland. He, um, he had applied for it and was in the process of talking to them. And uh, I was like, like I didn't even know this was happening. How did you, how do how do people find these jobs popping up? Like where right. where am it's I so not crazy, looking? Man. Yeah. So he sends me the job posting, and I was like, "Gosh, I don't want to I don't want to undercut Alex on this, but but at the same time, like this would be perfect. We're we already want to move to Seattle. Like why? Okay, I got to do this. So I ended up applying for it, and I got a call from uh, the director of player personnel there like a couple days later, which I was not expecting. Um, and, you know, one thing you got to understand is that the University of Washington is Oregon's biggest rival. Right. Like a, lot of, yeah. a lot of people think it's Oregon State. It's not. It's, it's Washington. And yeah, I was like, actually wondering if, if there's like some old biases you had to throw out in oh, order to sort of like objectively do your job. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Like when I clicked apply on that, like it physically hurt me. <laughs> and That's so awesome. it was, it was, oh my God, that was one of the most difficult decisions I, I made to put my personal collegiate allegiances aside for my professional career. I'm glad yeah, I did I couldn't, it. I mean, that's a, that's a brave move, man, because I literally could not see myself working for the Louisville Cardinals. Like, oh. I just, I couldn't do it, man. You know, I mean, I'm so <laughs> glad that I did. And, and it really helped that it was to work for Chris Peterson rather than Steve Sarkeesian. Um, not, yeah. Nothing against Steve Sarkeesian, but... Uh, Chris Peterson is is an amazing <clears throat> coach, an amazing human being, and uh, a, a fantastic boss. Uh, just a really awesome person to work for, and that's that's what kind of sealed the deal for me to apply. Um, and because, that was essentially like a new position, right? Because you were manager of football graphic design. I mean, it was almost like in that time is when those positions started to happen. And I remember yeah. the fir- first time I heard about those, it was like, what is this? This is interesting. Yeah, and, and it was. It was a brand new position. And um, Marshall, the, the guy who's the who hired me, 
um, had been at the the University of Alabama. That's where he went to school. So he kind of saw what Buddy Overstreet had done mm-hmm. uh, for the program and what he had done with recruiting it, and identified the fact that they needed that at Washington. Uh, and it was something that at Boise State they they just didn't have the budget for. It. But now now that they were in a, a Power Five conference with uh, an athletic department that had the funding to to be able to provide something like that, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's when they decided to create that position. So yeah, I was I was the first person to step into that role, and um, which was really really cool. It was a, it was a big challenge because I was you know setting policies and uh, procedures and and really doing as much teaching to the program about you know graphic design as much as I was learning from the program about recruiting and football right so it was a really interesting it's interesting because like do you answer who do you answer to coaches um yes <laughs> and no uh, i mean <laughs> my 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 day to day interactions were with uh Marshall the director of player personnel uh, and then uh, another guy by the name of Aaron Knotts, who um, I'm not sure what his title is now. They've kind of switched things around a couple of times since I've been there and, and left. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that, those were the guys, I mean, that I would go to every day because they were really in charge of, of leading the recruiting efforts. So, you know, identifying recruits, contacting recruits and, and mm-hmm. dealing with that day-to-day interaction. Um, but then at the same time, you know, if a coach came to me and said, hey, I need this or I want this, um, can you make this for me? Uh, then yeah, I, I answered directly to the coaches and, and then ultimately to, to coach Pete. Um, he right. was kind of the, the end all be all of my existence, which was not a bad way to go. <laughs> right now we, we, we've, uh, we've kind of had some funny direct message conversations or I can't even remember if these were public or not the, about like, uh, just some ridiculous things that you would have to Photoshop for like, maybe it was like a coach request or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. The <laughs> like recruiting a burrito or something. <laughs> the recruiting <laughs> game is, it's weird, man. Um, you know, there's there, you're trying to appeal to, to the interests of 16, 17, 18 year old kids. And, you know, what are, what are they like? They like superheroes and movies and girls right. and, and food and, Football, yeah. <laughs> so you know. Yeah, I think you were telling me about you had to Photoshop a receiver catching a burrito or something like that. That was that was a, uh, somebody at, at the University of Cincinnati. Like they like this. Oh, okay, kid, okay. This yeah. kid apparently just at, was bananas for Chipotle. So the the graphic that that I was shown was him catching a burrito at the closest Chipotle location to the stadium. That's so funny. Well, I, what I had to do, uh, I had to Photoshop uh, a kid into a Batman costume. <laughs> and I know Matt has had to make a kid the Incredible Hulk. So. I saw that he actually posted he posted that one to be hands. <laughs> he did a fantastic job with that. He did, like, man. He did a good job. Yeah, that it's was- just so funny. It's funny because it's like it's it's usually like really like sort of epic level Photoshop as far as like mm-hmm. the actual skill set it takes to do that. Yeah. But then it's funny in that like it's sort of like just like the idea itself, the fact that someone had to do that is almost like a little cheesy. <laughs> it's so cheesy. And and like as a as a designer, like you understand like why they're doing that, but at the same time like every ounce of my professional being is screaming at me going, no oh, right. there's so many better things we could be doing. Yeah, but at the same yeah. time, like they know, they know recruits, and the, and this it works. That's the weird thing. That's, it works. that's so crazy to me. It's yeah. so crazy. 
I mean, you'll see people get photoshopped into like mock up ESPN covers or like, you know, I've done, stuff like been there, done that. I've done the ESPN covers. I've photoshopped kids and I, I tried to avoid photoshopping kids into uniforms. So, um, one of the things yeah. that I did was, uh, I, I said, I mean, screw Photoshop. Let's put these kids in the uniform and, and do a photo shoot with it. Like let's, right, let's right. set them up with a photo shoot. And I think that was one of the things that, um, they thought was really successful because you know a kid you get to put on a, a full-on college nike uniform and stand there and get your picture taken like you know you see pro athletes do right that's that's just from an experience standpoint that's i think that would be awesome man. rewarding for yeah they for would put that on their facebook athletes. profiles and, oh absolutely and what's it i wonder like if, as far as like the NCAA is concerned, like how much cracking down or whatever they've been doing, because I remember one time I was asked by my alma mater to do something for basketball. Like there was a recruit from my hometown. It was like they wanted me to do something for them, and then basically like compliance shut it down. There's, uh, you know, so many people will get up in arms about uh, recruiting violations and things like that, but. Mm-hmm. All all of the best programs in the country um, have amazing compliance departments, mm-hmm. and um, I, I mean, I got to credit UW for that. Like their compliance department is they're they're really good about communicating and not being crappy about it. <laughs> um, you mm-hmm. know, and it's just one of those things where a, a lot of people will get frustrated. But to me, it's just one of those things where it's like, yeah, no, I don't want to put UW in a position to. Or you know any school that I'm working with uh, in a position of of not being able to to talk to recruits or or have additional penalties because I want to make a graphic a certain way or I want to do something a certain way. So it's right. just a you know it challenges you to be more creative. Like what can you do within the rules? And, mm-hmm. and I think the the best designers, um, you know, Sammy Silverman at, at, at Ohio State and. Uh, um, Matt Lang at Alabama are I, I think those are two of the best in the industry uh, and and they man they make it work like you you make it work and you come up with cool stuff that fits within the rules. Mm-hmm. So well, I think part of being this, being a designer too is that there there are always constraints and it's essentially like how can you solve this problem within like these constraints. I know that's being yeah, like the exactly. digital world, which is where I do a lot of work. No, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the best designers always are are problem solvers. Like the, they're able to take that those restraints and say, "All right, this is the little box that I'm confined within, but you know, it's still a box, and there's still air in here, and there's still space to make something happen." And mm-hmm. you know, that's that's my job is to figure out the best way to make this box the best it can be. Right. So you you're a Pac-12 guy. You're you're from the north uh, northwest. And mm-hmm. you're you're doing this thing at the University of Washington, and then you made the decision to leave and go back to Portland. Okay, talk about that that decision there. A that was bit. that one's a little bit more easy to 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 lay down. Uh, um, uh, I had a baby girl with my mm-hmm. wife uh, in July of last year, and that was the one and only reason uh, we decided to to say so long, Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, just to go be back with family. That between that and the cost of cost of living in Seattle, it's just oh, okay. astronomical. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, we were looking into childcare for her because I mean, we talked it's, about my, it's insane, man. It is like <laughs> it was it was going to cost more than a rent. 
uh, yeah. up there. So you know, uh, we couldn't afford for my wife to to be a stay at home mom, uh, and we couldn't afford daycare. <laughs> so yeah, dude, we daycare were, we is, were, it's it's amazing how expensive yeah. that is. And so we were between a rock and a hard place. Uh, so that was one of those where you know, um, I, it was nothing but you know we got to make the best decision uh, for our our little family. Um, and that was coming back to Portland, you know, uh, I'm, I'm very, 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 very lucky that my mom, um, does not work and, uh, agreed to, to take care of my daughter for That's us cool. during That's the day. That's a huge help when, that, it when is. you can do that. Yeah. Uh, and it's been really cool because, you know, she gets to spend every day. Uh, my dad works from home too. So, mm-hmm. you know, both of my parents get to see their granddaughter every day. Uh, yeah. And then, yeah. um, you know, we, we try and see my, my wife's family is here in Oregon as well. Uh, they're in central Oregon. So we, we try and see them as often as possible. So, uh, you know, both sets of grandparents get lots of time with, with our, our little baby girl. Um, Dude, so it's that, interesting how your priorities change, man. I mean, uh, I know we've had this conversation a lot, but just in general, upward mobility in sports for creative professionals and it's lack thereof mm-hmm. really. Uh, it's really we've had some. I know that you and I have had some pretty passionate conversations along with Aaron uh, Masick and and Matt Lang's been in on mm-hmm. a few of those. There's been some of them get pretty pretty awesome. Actually, yeah. I'm gonna go for like three or four hours. Oh yeah. Uh, what what are your thoughts on that, man? Like, I, it's tough. I mean, once you have kids, you can't really commit to the being in the you know at the stadium all day every day. You know. It's yeah, like, and that was that was a point of contention at, at UW for me. Um, you know, the other challenge that I have, my wife has epilepsy and she doesn't drive, so mm-hmm. I'm her her sole source of transportation. So you know, I, I had to to tell the coaches, look, you know, I I can't, I have to go take my wife home. So you know, I, I will be here as much as I can, and I will get as much work in as I possibly can during during the hours that I'm here. But you know, you got to understand that like this is this is just this is the package I come with. Right. So. Uh, you know that ended up working itself out over time, um, and it, it's just tough for the you know that kind of position when you're working directly with coaches and and the football operations staff who are there almost 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Oh yeah, for ten months out of the year, it really is. But the but the thing is, they have the the payoff at the end of the day. You know, Coach totally, P- man. Um, we've had this conversation. You know, it's it's interesting because it's like. As a designer, or even like really any creative professional, photographer, or whatever, you know, you go into these positions and it's like your upward mobility, like it stops at a certain point. It and, does. And the argument has been made that, oh, well, it's just like the grad assistant coaches or whatever that go in there. And it's like, well, but those guys put in the time and then eventually they become millionaires, right? I mean, they. Yeah essentially become an offensive coordinator somewhere and move up. And then maybe if they're lucky, get to become a head coach somewhere. Even if they were a head coach at like a mid-major school, they're making right. pretty decent money in comparison right. to what the, the the creatives are making. Right, exactly. And so, I mean, the perception is there that, that you know, you're part of the football, you know, you're part of the, the, the football cog. But the, re- the reality is that the work is so different. Uh, and even then, like, there's only so long during the day, you know, creative work is so taxing from a, a mental standpoint. It's exhausting. Right. You know, you'll, you'll burn out. Like if you, if you work coaches hours from a creative standpoint, you'll be done in two months. Oh, totally, man. So you have to it's take just, a break. It's, you know? it's not practical. And I experienced that it, it's not exactly the same kind of grind on a professional level. Uh, it, because the front offices are, are much more removed from the actual sporting operations side. 
So it's less of a factor on there. Now, I mean, that varies team to team. Uh, but I was very lucky that, you know, Diamondbacks is 8.30, 5.30 uh, every day um, with an hour for lunch. So that, <laughs> yeah. was, that was a pretty cushy setup. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. so, <laughs> and I know there are other sports organizations that are out there that do that. Now, you know, these, these teams that, that are just getting their uh, creative departments set up, it's going to be much more of a, a challenge because there's sp- stuff that's got to get set up in the first place. And that takes time and that takes a lot of effort. Um, so, um, you know, it's, it's tough. And then the other thing is too, like when, when you're dealing with places that are new to this, you know, it's hard for them to understand the value that they're getting. Even if they're, you know, I'm not putting in coaches hours. I'm not there for a hundred hours a week at all. At the same time, like you're still getting an insane amount of value, but the compensation is just not there yet. Right. Mm-hmm. So, which which makes it tough to try and like it's like, all right. So you're already kind of shortchanging me from a compensation standpoint because you think like I should be just so grateful to work here, and you want me to to kill myself hours wise. Like that, there, there's a disconnect here. Like you either right. need to to compensate me for the time that I'm here, or you need to to let the time go for what you're paying me. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because like if you're the highest level of what you do at this place and you have no one else to really look up to and learn from specific to what you do, then you should really be compensated more. <laughs> exactly. I mean, because I mean, you, you, you're, you're, you're essentially like at the top of the mountain in that yeah, world. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's just not, not how it's viewed. And I, I hope that that's going to change uh, from a collegiate level. And I, and I think that that's going to start shifting sooner rather than later uh, on the professional level, and that's that's just the challenge I think every in-house designer has, whether it's in sports or not. Right? Um, yeah, totally. It is. I think it's just common across the board when you're working in a corporation. Yeah. You have to just uh, you almost have to look at it like it's a corporation. You got to prove your value. Right. Right. Exactly. And well, the other thing too is that you know the the rise of desktop publishing and you know the fact that. Everybody thinks they're a designer. Like, right. there's there's a lot of misconceptions about what we do, and it's like, whoa, I, I can I can do that, and I can do that in PowerPoint, I can do that in Word. Well, I mean, uh, y- yes, you can you can physically make what you've asked me to do, and that. <laughs> But what you don't have is my experience, my understanding of communication, my understanding of marketing or strategy or anything, any of that other, you know, more theoretical side of that. You know, right. you don't you don't have that knowledge. Just yeah, like, like I mean, it's like I can throw a football thirty yards. You know, like exactly. <laughs> like I can I can sell corporate sponsorships too, but I'm not going to do it as well as you. Right. You know, you're the one with with ten years sales experience. I'm the one with ten years design experience. So you go sell, and I'll go design. And don't tell me how to design. I won't tell you how to sell. Yeah. Yeah. So, totally. Um, I, I think that that is. I'm I'm hoping it's going to have a paradigm shift. And I see there are some organizations out there um, that are starting to do that. Well, the one that the, the shining beacon of hope that I have for the professional sports industry is the Tennessee Titans. Um, hmm. I I was fortunate enough to to interview with that organization before Ashley Strauss took the took the gig and, and I think she's doing a, a bang up job there. She's a mm-hmm. phenomenal designer. So yeah, she's awesome. Um, I think she's going to do big things with with them. But um, I I got to talk a little bit with Jimmy Stanton, who's their VP of communications, and he seems to me like somebody who really and truly gets it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm hoping that that is one of the organizations that between them and the, and the Miami dolphins. Yeah. I was going to say the dolphins, man. They're, oh God. Yeah. 
I would love to see their team like in in a few years just like completely shift and <laughs> and get into the Super Bowl or something. Oh yeah. And then you can then at that point we all really have this thing where you can point to this thing and say, okay, they hired Surf, they hired John, now they got Brandon, uh, Brandon Moore. Mm-hmm. And and now you kind of have this thing where it's like, all right, and I know you've done a little bit of freelance for them too yeah. with your previous relationship with yep. John. Um, then you can almost point to this thing like, look, here's what creative did. And this had to have played a role in this at some point. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean the 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 presence of social media with all this too. Like the players are are starting to notice it. They're starting to get involved, and and whether they you know the front office is realizing it or not, players are getting fired up by the design stuff that's going out on the official accounts. Mm-hmm. And I I foolishly I'm going to say this, and I, I don't think there's quite as much to it as I'd like to believe, but I, I think it plays a, a small part at least right now. Oh, I think I mean I think that we live in an era where people generally, especially people that are in tune to sports culture and especially like um, music culture and entertainment culture and especially like hip hop culture that's sort of like fluent in sports, people pay attention to things that are visual, especially, I mean, you know what? I hate that I'm going to say this, but Kanye West, I mean, people that listen to Kanye West, I mean, the dude's tweeting about loving fonts, right? Yeah. So when he says something like that, it's going to influence people that listen to his music to start paying attention to that stuff. Yeah. And so I think we live in a time where it's like the most important now than it's probably ever been yeah. as far as like design and, and having a visual, a, a nice visual aesthetic and really pushing your brand uh, from that perspective. Yeah. But that's a double-edged sword too because then you get people who, who you know try and talk intelligently about fonts and they really have no clue what they're doing, which <laughs> yeah, kind of yeah. aggravates the problem that, you know, I mentioned previously. So it's, you know, yeah, true. got to take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like you can't have the good, you get, you can't have the good with the bad. Yeah. It's like, like oh, without have, the bad. Have you, you seen have Comic more. Sans? I love that typeface. <laughs> <laughs> so, Just, so you've, um, you've been freelancing now for, uh, how long? Full time? About six months? Somewhere in that in that range? Uh, yes, yeah, since uh, closer to eight, actually. Uh, so oh, cool. since since July. I mean, I officially formed my my LLC in October, oh, okay. but uh, yeah. I hit the ground running uh, when I left uh, Seattle and started in Portland. So, mm-hmm. so how's uh, how's that sort of adjustment been? Being going back to full-time freelance as far as I think I'm guessing this is probably the longest now the longest period of time I knew you had some some of the contract gigs and stuff like that but this is the longest time where you've been fully committed yeah to and, freelancing. And it, it's it was intentional uh as well whereas the other ones it was like yeah all right I'll I'll try and in between jobs exactly yeah, yeah yeah so um it's been really good um you know I came down with the mindset that um I was going to look for full-time gigs, but if they didn't work out, I was just going to focus on doing my own thing because I've mm-hmm. been doing this now 10 years professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I feel like I'm at a point where uh, I can be choosy with, you know, full-time employment, you know, if, and if there's an opportunity right. that I want, I can, that's great. I can go and get it. Uh, but I, I don't have to. Um, and to that, to that end, I ended up passing on a couple of really amazing opportunities. Um, you know, not to like blow my own horn or, or be, you know, braggadocious, but you know, I, I mentioned the Tennessee Titans and, um, there's another opportunity at the sports license division in Boston, uh, with Adidas mm-hmm. that I, I went very far down the process in, um, and ultimately 
decided to to take a pass on both of those just because um, my wife and I didn't feel like making that move across the country again made mm-hmm. made sense, especially you know with that being the reason that we came to Portland. Um, right. We left good jobs and in, in, in a good situation in Seattle to you know be here for to be close to our families with our new daughter. So leaving again so quickly afterwards didn't really make sense. Uh, and right. because I was I was doing uh, pretty well with the freelance stuff, um, it I was able to to confidently say this is not the right time for me to to do this. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is a it's a really nice feeling to be able to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 nice, and it's also it's also really tough too because I think sometimes I mean I, I can totally empathize with your you saying like the opportunities because I've kind of had the same scenarios where it's like you there's an opportunity that presents itself and you have this choice where you can jump right in right now and work with these big brands or you can build your own thing and that might be working with smaller brands at first and hopefully you know eventually working with some bigger brands. And to me, building your own thing just always seems more attractive. I mean, I tried to go work for somebody else for like a little while, and I just once you've kind of tasted that freedom, it's really hard to go back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I, I go back and forth, and I mean, I guess it's me being still new at this. Uh, I mean, I I miss healthcare <laughs> being provided by somebody yeah, else. Healthcare is the worst thing in the world. About yeah, and, and a four hundred one k and a life insurance and all of those other benefits and perks that always seem to get kind of forgotten about when you leave a position. Um, right. So those are things that I miss about having a full-time job. The regular paycheck is something that's also uh, <laughs> yeah. attractive to me, especially I mean... Feast or famine, man. Exactly. Famine. And my <laughs> wife and I just bought our first house, so we, you know, it's definitely one of those, I'm kind of side-eyeing, you know, well, what if I were to get a full-time job? That could be yeah, kind of, yeah. <laughs> that would make things a little easier. But at the same time, like, you know, I keep coming back to you like, well, I don't have to just go get any job. Like, I don't have to go work for, for you know, a sign-making shop because that's what's available. Like, Right. Um, You've developed the connections now, to, yeah. uh, you know, over 10 years where it's like, hey, you can hit somebody up. And that's that, I think that just speaks to connections in general and as far as, like, the industry, how small it is, but also Absolutely. just trying to reach out to people and and be yeah. cool with people because it's essentially like, hey man, you know what? I'm in a I'm in a bind here, and I really need a gig. Yeah, and you know them just liking you as a human being because there's so much parody in in the in really in what we do. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of people that are really good at Photoshop. There's a lot of people that are really good at branding, and there's really it's really tough to stand out on sure. talent alone. Yeah, you know, you almost have to have something else. Yeah, absolutely. And to, and to that point, every single client that I've brought on uh, in my eight months that I've been doing this has been through my connections in the sports world. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I When I uh, knew, I and we made the decision that we were going to move, which was uh, early June of last year, um, the first thing I did was I, I, you know, I reached out to Surf and John and said, hey, uh, I'm moving do you have any work? Cause mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. uh, my, my wife's going to go on maternity leave and I don't have anything lined up yet. So I could use some extra income and, and they threw me a ton of work that summer. And that's, that's, that's what really awesome. got me off the ground. And that's what led to me, you know, realizing that it was feasible. Uh, but through them, um, I ended up uh, getting in contact with the Eddie Fernandez, the creative director at the Marlins. Um, mm-hmm. Who was a former 
a coworker of theirs at the Dolphins. Uh, he's made the switch over to MLB. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've, I've been on a retainer with the Marlins for the past two months uh, and looking to, to do more with them upcoming. So there's going to be a lot of stuff coming out in my portfolio with that says Miami Marlins soon. That's um, cool. So they, they've been a huge client of mine. Um, I, got, uh, I got the Spokane Empire, uh, the indoor football league branding, mm-hmm. uh, through a former coworker at UW. Uh, so that's, that's how I ended up getting that project. And they've turned into a really awesome, steady client of mine. Mm-hmm. Fantastic people to work with. Uh, you, you cranked out a lot. Of, I mean, you, the visual assets that you've been posting, like you've done a lot of stuff for that. There's a lot of stuff yeah. involved in that. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, the the conversation that I had with Ryan Eicher, who's their director of operations, um, he, you know, we initially talked about you know doing the branding, and we did that, and and they were really really happy with that work. Um, and then, um, you know, he asked me because he's seen the work that I've done in my portfolio. Hey, can you help us out with a schedule poster and some other things? And I was like, all right, well, what if we were to, what if we were to do kind of a retainer? So, you know, set up a, a retainer contract and that, and a set number of hours. And, uh, just, you know, I told Ryan, it's like, look, you've, you paid for the hours you paid for the, it's like, it's your time. So let me know what you need. Right. And so the, yeah, it's been, it's worked out well for, for both of us because it's, it's been a lot of fun to get those projects to work on. And there's been a ton of different collateral. Um, and then it's, it's been good for them because, you know, they, they get everything that they need at, at a pretty good price. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they sort of, they, that's the best thing about retainers. And, and that's why I'll really, if, if there's any, potential clients that are listening to this as far as like sports teams that are looking to hire a designer and maybe there's a talent crunch you can't find somebody or whatever you should totally look into in setting up a freelancer on a retainer because essentially you're getting the best of both worlds you're not basically paying their health insurance you're not paying for them for a computer but you get them essentially almost as a as a full-time or a part-timer to crank out your stuff yeah, and I, I would echo that. I mean, and it's it's good for the designer too because you know you you don't have to be ticky tacky with with. I mean, you got to keep track of the hours, but at the same time, you know, for for the people that I work with, I have my standard hourly rate. But if they if I get people choosing to engage in a retainer with me, I give them a little bit of a discount price yeah, uh, for yeah. for volume. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, and then you know, it works a little bit better for me too because then I don't have to contain those hours to a certain project, and it works mm-hmm. well for them too for the same reason. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, we need project X, and then suddenly project Y comes up and it's it's urgent. Well, all right, you've already paid for the hours; you can just switch back. And then once project Y is done, we'll go back to project X. Yeah. So that, yeah. I, I love that, and it, it's been very popular for me with with the people that I've been working with. So, and I, th- I think that as a freelancer, you can get more deeply ingrained in like the brand too, because then it becomes less about um, you got to get this thing done under this certain budget, and more like, hey, let's just let's work on actually solving the problem here. Yeah, absolutely, and and that's been that's exactly what has happened with with the Empire too, you know. And it was really good. Like I created some initial visual assets for them that. Uh, we're just get them rolling, but then you know we did the schedule poster and the tickets, the season tickets, and like they looked completely different from everything else. And because they mm-hmm. had the hours available on the retainer, those initial assets we could basically toss those and right. and redo them. So I mean, I, I completely redid their website design as part of that, and um, you know was able to make everything really nice and coherent. Uh, mm-hmm. 
as part of that. So, I mean, like I said, it was advantageous for everybody because, you know, from a, a, a strategic standpoint and a brand standpoint, like having those disparate elements is, that just drives me nuts. So yeah. it was more cathartic for me to be able to say, all right, we've got the time, we've got the availability, let's fix it. Mm-hmm. Well, listen. In uh, in wrapping up, I'm I'm curious. Like, are there any things that you, when you started your own business, that maybe necessarily you didn't expect? Because one of the sort of underlying themes of this podcast is really just to kind of push people to start thinking as entrepreneurs. Yeah. So I'm curious whether any surprises or anything were just kind of look curveballs thrown at you, and you're like, oh my goodness, man, I gotta be ready for this. Um, I think, I think the biggest thing for me that, that has been the biggest transition has been a keeping track of my income and expenses, like just mm-hmm. that, that basic accounting bookkeeping right. kind of thing. That was one of those where I just previously, I, I didn't do all that much freelance. So I just, I'd send my invoices and at the end of the year I'd collect all my invoices and here you go, Mr. Taxman, do it for me. Right. Uh, right. But now it's like, okay, I got. I got. I sent an invoice this date. I got paid on this date. I've set this aside for taxes. Now I've paid this expense, this monthly expense for my Adobe subscription, and this for mm-hmm. this font and that and that. And I mean, I have this running spreadsheet in my <laughs> that I've just been using. Yeah, Even that, yeah. that is, that's primitive, and and that's working for now. But like this upcoming year, I have to invest in and actually learn how to use accounting software. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that's uh, been. Uh, the biggest biggest thing for me to kind of get a, a, a handle on, and also all the legal stuff with setting up an LLC. Like, mm-hmm. um, there's a company here in Portland called Create Legal, and they mm-hmm. are are uh, lawyers who specialize in the creative industry. Oh, that's awesome! Um, so you know, and I'm sure they they're happy to work with people on a national level. Uh, so createlegal.com. Um, but they, they they set up LLCs, they set up uh, contracts. They handle all kinds of, of trademark law and, and copyright law. So I, um, being able to get in touch with them and have them help me with that kind of stuff was really helpful uh, mm-hmm. and worth their time and their, their fees, which were very, very reasonable. So Yeah, and you know I think that's the thing, too, is people sort of... Um, they might think, oh, I don't want to spend like a couple hundred bucks or whatever on on just some legal advice, but it's totally a worthy investment. Yeah, because it's it's long term. It's not you know you, you can't you got to kind of get out of that mindset that like oh, yeah. I'm spending three hundred bucks and that's like twice what my direct TV or whatever costs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think the other yeah. thing that that's been uh, something that I didn't really consider all that much, but but was just the investment in my tools and and the assets that I have, like now that uh, it's me doing this on my own, like I'm, uh, it's much more apparent to me how important it is to make sure that all the licenses and everything that I purchase for everything is, is, all proper and, and oh, done yeah. correctly, yeah. you know. So I'm, you're not this, like jacking fonts anymore, and like <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, for for the young people listening, um, buy just buy the fonts, just totally. do it. Like people put a lot of work and effort into creating those fonts, and they do an amazing job, and it's worth it. Yeah. Um. So you know, yeah. Shop- I bought tungsten like uh, a year ago, and I freaking love it, man. And usually the thing is, is like. It has like hundreds of weights. Oh yeah, 
Yeah, and and every you want to have every single one of them. Like mm-hmm. buy an entire typeface family. Uh, one right. of the ones I just bought was Roan, uh, which is a new font that I, I discovered on on uh, myfonts.com, and I got mm-hmm. it on sale, which is definitely the way to go. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, but you know, like doing so doing that, like purchasing. Um, mock-up kits from creative market and, and brushes brush sets and there's still great places to find all that stuff for free out there um mm-hmm. and and you can do that but the the ones that you pay for one they're higher quality so they're yeah. the, your work that you put into those things is going to look better uh so it's worth that investment and and you know as a business owner like that's imp- really important to consider is you want your work to look as best as it can be so you need to make sure that you have the best assets you can have yeah totally i think the word investment is is such a quality word just in thinking about this stuff i yeah. mean you're you're not buying a a typeface you're investing in it i mean it's an right. investment into your business and the quality of 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 your own brand, absolutely, really. and and that goes with you know purchasing your own Creative Cloud subscription, which is a really really reasonable price, and that you get a ton for it. Um, right. I mean, I I bought a, a new computer um, in the fall um, just because I I I mean I needed it. Like, yeah, I had a laptop from 2011 that's still going strong, but at the same time, it's got 16 gigs of RAM, and I need 32 for the kind of work that I'm doing. So it's just right. one of those things where. Like my wife was very understanding. She's like, "No, this is your job now. Like you have to have the best equipment that you can possibly get." So, and yeah. then you know the the other thing too is like, I I have this steadily growing list of things I need to buy. Like you know I'm I need to buy a, a new printer now, <laughs> and that's like right. oh you don't think about that. Like if you work for a company, like they have printers. They they you know if you ever need anything, hey I need pens. Hey I need I need a whiteboard. Hey I need I need mm-hmm. a ruler. Like. A lot of my initial purchases, uh, I spent a lot of time at Michael's and Office Depot. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Just for those, some of those things that just yeah. like you don't think about for sure. Exactly. And even for me, like uh, I've gotten to the point where I'm like paying monthly fees for other software, not just Adobe, but just like Basecamp or mm-hmm. um, Har- Harvest, which is a build time tracking software allows me to send invoices and get paid via credit card which is always useful um stuff like that where you just kind of add those in as a business expense and initially right. you just kind of get so caught up and you're like oh man 15 dollars a month i can't do that but then you're like well but if what if 15 dollars a month causes my clients to pay like within 24 hours as opposed to waiting 30 days or whatever you know yeah like, yeah worthy investment at that point <laughs> absolutely yeah it's it's definitely worth making the the effort to do all of that yeah. Well, cool, man. Where uh, where can listeners support your work and follow you on online, be it on Dribble and Twitter and that type of thing? Yeah. So uh, my website is uh, com. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter at, at bgundell. And uh, you can see more of my work, some fun, silly stuff on Dribble at dribble.com slash bgundell. Very cool. Well, man, listen, I appreciate your time and uh, congratulations on on the kid and also happy blade birthday, man. Welcome to your 30s. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. My next guest is going to be Timmy O'Shaughnessy. Timmy is an art director at ESPN on the motion and broadcast design of things. During his time at ESPN, he has worked on motion graphics packages for the likes of ESPN College Football, Mike and Mike, NBA on ESPN, the 2014 World Cup, and much more. In the meantime, if you're interested, you can check out Timmy's work on his website, rustedhouse.com, or you can follow him on Twitter 
at Rusted House. Big thanks again to Brian Gundell for taking some time to come aboard the podcast. Again, as he mentioned, you can follow him on Twitter at bgundell, as well as view some of his work uh, at his site, BrianGundell.com. If you're interested in hearing more episodes, head over to makersofsport.com slash episodes to check out previous interviews or listen to some of the original halftime episodes where I discuss business, entrepreneurship, freelance, and more in the sports industry. Some of that we actually touched on today in this interview with Brian being a freelancer. As mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, all future halftime episodes will be available to community members only. If you want to support the podcast, you can join the community at makersofsport.com slash community. Your community membership will get you an invite to the Makers of Sports Slack channel where there is a ton of awesome conversation going on right now. We have representatives from ESPN, Sports Illustrated, a couple NFL teams, and a couple people working in the fitness industry and some other places in sports. So it's a variety of folks, and uh, we're just having a good time. So you will get an invite to the Slack channel, uh, as well as being able to see all of the private content that comes out from the future, some of those being the halftime episodes, and as well as their transcriptions, and then also Q&As with future, former, and current guests. Our next Q&A is actually with episode four guest, Todd. Radom of Todd Radom Design. By the time this episode comes out, it will have actually already been conducted, but don't worry, each Q&A is recorded and available in the community Slack chat. So anytime you join, you'll have access to all of the Q&As from the past. Again, I want to reemphasize the podcast is listener supported. There are no sponsors. If you get value from this podcast and its outlets in social media, email newsletters, or other areas, then please consider supporting the show. A vote with your hard-earned dollars gets invested right back into the show to help provide a better experience for you. You'll get access to premium content at the cost of five coffees per month. If you want to join, again, makersofsport.com slash community. For those that can't afford at this very moment or just for casual listeners, have no fear the interview show episodes will be free forever. If you do miss the half times and can't sign up for the community at this time, you can sign up for Weekend Reads, which is a weekly newsletter where I write exclusive content and share the things I'm reading, the things I find interesting, or things that inspire me for the week. In addition, on that list, you'll be notified of upcoming guests and get podcast show notes delivered to your inbox. By going to makersofsport.com slash email, enter your email address to stay in touch with the happenings of the podcast and its future. Lastly, please take one to two minutes and head to makersofsport.com slash iTunes. Hit the five star and write about your experience with the show. Again, if you've gotten value from myself or any of the guests on the show, the best way to tell them is to go and rate their episode and write something about it. I do share that with them. They do read it. And it also helps the show get discovered by other people that are looking to get into this industry or learn more about this specific niche of business. If you're not on iTunes, I'll also accept likes on Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever podcast application you happen to listen in. I'm at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. The show is at Makers of Sport. Until next time, have a good week. <laughs>